Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Glenn Hawke, and it is great to bring you another episode of Blue Sox Banter. Sydney Blue Sox hitting coach Rachel Balkovitz has achieved more in her 33 years than most of us could dream of achieving in a lifetime. And I can assure you, she isn't done yet, not by a long way. She's been a Division I college softballer, a strength and conditioning coordinator for the St. Louis Cardinals in their minor league system. She's worked for the Houston Astros, gave up her dream job to study in Europe, and 12 months ago, she became the first female to be appointed as a hitting coach in a Major League Baseball organization, none other than the New York Yankees. But it's not just what Rachel's done that is impressive, it's how she's done it. See, she was laughed at when she suggested that she take on a strength and conditioning job in baseball. And despite having an impeccable CV, she was told that she wouldn't get a job in the game. And why? Well, because she was a woman. See, unfortunately for others who have faced similar challenges and adversity, that's where their story ends. But for Rachel, that's where her story starts. In this really special two-part episode, I sit down and catch up with Rachel and talk about the challenges and setbacks and achievements, what drives and motivates her and keeps her going when everyone around her tells her it's impossible. We also talk about the history-making moments that change not only her life, but the life, hopefully, of many other women who hope to forge a similar path in the game. Please enjoy part one of this special episode, Rachel Balkovitz. I'm not done yet. Well, Rachel, good morning and welcome to uh, Blue Sox Banter podcast. It's, it's great to have you. Now, I need to start by asking, I work as an announcer and have done that for a long time. Now, a really important part of that is getting names right. Now, I've heard your last name told about a dozen different ways. I want to start by asking you, how do we say your last name? It's Balkovitz. Balkovitz. Simple. Mm-hmm. You, you must have heard so many, it, it said so many ways. Well, funny story. I actually said my name wrong for 31 years until I just went to Slovenia um, last year with my sisters. And we actually met some of our family in Slovenia. And they were like, you're saying our name wrong. And I was like, oh, no. So uh, <laughs> I, I said it Balkovac my entire life. And I've just started to make an effort to say it the right way, which is Balkovitz. So don't feel bad. I said it wrong my entire life and I'm, I'm making the effort to change. So there you go. That's how it's written, isn't it? Balkovec is how it's, how it's written. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. the obvious uh, translation for it. But Balkovec, yeah. we're, I'm glad we can, we're going to get that right before you, uh, before you come here to Australia. Rachel, Great. your story is an incredible one to tell. Uh, obviously the announcement in Australia a couple of months ago that, uh, that you became or signed as the hitting coach for the Sydney Blue Sox, which is incredible. It only is a really minor part of your whole story, which we'd like to talk a little bit about today, but I'd like to go right back to the start. You were a, obviously you just mentioned a Slovenian background, but um, you're a girl who grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Tell us about those early years, your, your earliest memories of, uh, of growing up. Uh, most of them surround sports, you know, and being outside and just uh, my dad, both of my parents, but my dad raised us three girls. I've got two sisters and I think he just raised us like boys. You know, he was like, all right, three girls, I'll just make you into boys. So he, he was, um, the driver, but also just my mom was the, my, my dad was the driver of our path, but my mom was the actual driver taking us to everything and coordinating. And so they were just both very supportive and put us all in all the sports, you know, soccer, volleyball, basketball, softball, gymnastics, um, just about everything. We were always busy with something. And so those were my earliest memories, I would say, growing up. So, yeah. Of all those sports you played, was there one that you particularly excelled at or did there come a point where you started to excel? 
Yeah, softball definitely was the one. And I, I really liked volleyball and basketball as well. But I just pretty, I would say pretty young, just knew that I was going to be able to go far in softball. So I played basketball and softball through high school a bit. And then eventually just softball um, as I knew that I was going to get a college scholarship for that. So, um, yeah, softball has always been really, even at a young age, my, my first love, I would say. You said you spoke about your parents. They, I've read some stuff about, about your family and um, no doubt your parents had a great influence on your life. Both very hardworking people right through your early years and through their working life. Yeah, I, I attribute everything to my family and the, the way that I was raised, you know, and, and I've, I'm privileged to have had parents who just, just uh, they were together and they were supportive and they were demanding of us, you know, at the same time. Both of them had pretty, I would say, rough upbringings in different ways. And so they're both pretty, like, they're pretty tough people, you know, they're just, they're, they're in their own right, very successful, even though my name might be in the headlines. I always say my mom was more successful than I was. You know, she grew up in a really small farming town, super alcoholic, abusive father. And there was no chance anyone was encouraging her to go to college. And she did it anyway. And she went to college and got her degree over eight years going to night school while she was working full time and having kids and everything. And so she, I always like to say she's more successful than I am based off of what she had available to her. Um, and so they just really, they're both really tough people and they raised us the same way just to be very um, kind of don't complain, just put your head down and get it done. And that's exactly, you know, what you're seeing today is it's a product of that. And both of my sisters are very much like that as well. Strong female role models in your life. People kind of look for that. Your mother was certainly that. Yes. Oh yeah. And my older sister, uh, my my mom was very much the uh, business-like mentor. She was like, get it done. This is what you got to do. No excuses type of thing. My older sister like uh, taught me about like boys and how to walk in heels and how to, you know, just kind of the more older sister stuff, I guess. Um, so, she, so her as well, she was a college soccer player and seeing her do that, I was like, I didn't even think twice. Like, I was like, okay, I'm going to go play so college softball. So having her in the home as well and just hopefully being able to do the same thing for my little sister. So yeah, we were a house full of strong women. My poor dad. No, he's, I'm kidding. My dad, <laughs> just, just, you know, my dad says, if somebody says, oh no, you have three girls. I'm so sorry for that. He's like, oh, well, maybe you should Google my daughter. <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, we raised them to be really strong women. So he takes pride in that really. Amazing. And, and your dad, I read that he had, what, 35 years with American Airlines, had three days yeah. off his working life. Yeah. Incredible work ethic. Incredible, honestly. Like we didn't even know it, there was anything else because we saw our parents doing it. And that, that sort of thing, it does shape you as an adult. You know, I've got a, uh, an incredibly strong mother as well who's a, a businesswoman and, and worked her hard her whole life. And it certainly helped mold myself and my brother throughout mm -hmm. career, gave us that, that grounding and worth, work ethic. You, uh, you went to LSU on a, on, a, on, a, on a softball scholarship. Through those early days when you're starting to get into the professional world, what, what were your aspirations and dreams in terms of professionally? Where did you want to go? So I actually, just so I don't claim anything that's not true, because LSU is a phenomenal softball program. I would never want to lie and say that I went there, but I, I got a college scholarship to New Mexico. So I actually played at New Mexico, and then I did my graduate assistant work at LSU. Right. Um, so I was actually working as a strength coach at LSU while I was getting a master's degree. 
Right. Um, so my early aspirations were sports immediately. So I, I knew I started out as, as a psychology major and all of a sudden I was sitting with one of the basketball players one day and she was doing her homework, but she was writing out a, a weightlifting program. And I was like, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm writing a weightlifting program for my homework. And I was like, I need to be doing that. I don't know what I'm doing over here, but I want to do that. So I, I switched my major and went to exercise science and the rest is history there. I kind of, uh, I had a pretty lackluster, I would say, career as a college softball player, but I really took to the weight room. I was able to be a leader in that area and I just loved it. I loved training. I never didn't like the hurt. You know, I really liked to get after it and train. Um, and so I wanted to make that a profession. That's what I did. So from there, long story short, went to LSU, did my graduate assistant work there, uh, worked with baseball, softball, uh, volleyball, like men's tennis, women's tennis, all a lot of different sports there. Um, and while I was there, really solidified my wanting to be in professional baseball. And the thing that originally attracted me was actually the minor league system. I think, I think the story usually is, oh, I'm such a baseball fan and I wanted to get a professional baseball. That wasn't the case for me. I actually was a softball fan. Like I grew up watching softball on TV and those were my heroes. I kind of didn't know about baseball. I was like, oh yeah, like it's the same sport, but I didn't, I didn't follow the players closely. I followed softball players. Mm. So, um, I, I kind of I found out about the minor league system and most people do not know about the minor league. I didn't even as a college softball player didn't know until I knew some of the players that our college were getting drafted and going through the process and I saw it firsthand. I was like, whoa, that is an incredible journey. It's a difficult journey in the minor league system. So I was actually fascinated by that and and the development of the players before they get to the big leagues. So that's actually what originally attracted me to it. I knew that I wanted to be in sports while I was in my master's degree, kind of honed in on, okay, I, I know it's professional baseball. So that's kind of how that that got going into professional baseball. I want to take you back a step. You mentioned about your, your college softball career, and it was, a, I suppose, an indifferent career, but in so many ways it's helped you become the, the coach and the, and the person that you are. You developed as a, as a softball player. You're a catcher. And you developed what people call the yips. Tell us, <laughs> tell us firstly what that is and, and how it manifested in you. Yeah, what it is, is it's basically, um, in a general sense, it's game anxiety, like performance anxiety. Um, uh, how it manifests in baseball and softball. It's pretty common. If you, if you know about baseball and softball, you know about the yips. If you don't, you're like, what is that? Yep. So what it looks like, this is crazy if you're not a baseball person, but I actually like couldn't throw the ball. I was a catcher, couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher. And then with time that mounted and, and momentum got going, unfortunately in the wrong direction. And I couldn't throw the ball anywhere. I mean, I just lost the ability to throw a ball, which if you can imagine, like I was a division one athlete. Like I, I got there to, because I was so good at throwing a ball and I was a catcher and that's part of why I was recruited. And then all of a sudden within, I would say less than a month that was gone. I just couldn't throw a ball like anywhere. If I, try to throw it. It wasn't going where I was trying to throw it. So as you can imagine, that was horrific. And, uh, I ha went into a deep depression. I ended up transferring. That was at my freshman year. I transferred and went to New Mexico. It got better. Um, but not to the point where I could be trusted in a pressure situation with a runner on third and we're playing UCLA. Like it wasn't, wasn't to a, a level where I was back to my normal self. So I, I really had very little playing time my last couple of years. And, it was tough. Like, of course it was, I, I lost my identity as an athlete. I didn't know 
who I was because everything to that point was going into softball. And I was, I wasn't your, oh, let me go to college and have fun. Like I was going to play on the Olympic team, wanted to play professionally. Like that was my life, um, which isn't very common with female athletes, but I was extremely dedicated. Um, in fact, I would, you know, I thought softball was my call. And I was like, oh yeah, school, whatever. Like I'm playing softball. So I was very dedicated, very serious about it. Uh, which is probably my demise because I cared so much and I was so uh, intense about my softball career that it really, really shook me. So um, what ended up happening is I poured myself into the weight room. I poured myself into my career. And as soon as I was done playing, which was, which was before I would have liked, of course, I knew that my new identity was going to be coaching and being in, in sports and from a career standpoint. And of course, like, do I wish I was a softball American in the Olympics? Like, I guess, yes. But as, as things always go, the difficulties that I had in my own career have become very, very uh, helpful for me post-career where I can relate to guys because a lot of people struggle with this. Major league players struggle with this. Like, it is not uncommon. And so when I see a guy going through it, I, first of all, I know faster than any other coach. Like, if he's struggling, I'm like, oh, boy. I, I know that I know what that feels like, you know, um, and also I can just talk to people easier about the mental side of the game. And I don't mean game, not game strategy, because that's easy. You know, the mental side in a way where when shit goes wrong, you know, like what who if you've had a successful career and you played in the big leagues for a long time. Yes, you probably had up and downs, but like, man, I know a lot of deep pain related to playing a sport. So when things are going wrong, I feel like it's a really easy conversation for me because I lived through a depression and identity loss and, and a really tough ending to my own career. So I don't know. I think obviously, you know, you go, Oh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would. I don't really wish that. I think it's made me better as a coach and um, to go through something difficult like that at, an, at a young age is in the long term a benefit, even though at the time it seemed horrible. And I suppose I've always been a firm believer in life that, that every step we take, good or bad, gets us to the point we are today. And you certainly wouldn't be the person you are, the coach you are, without going through those shitty times. And as I said, well, as you just said about you know your ability now to connect with other athletes who are going through personal you know personal situations like you have, it's really hard yeah. to teach someone or to have someone understand that mental side of the game or any of those mental health type issues, unless you've lived through them yourself. And you, said, yep. you can sit there and go, dude, I know exactly what you're going through here because I've lived it. Yeah. You'd be able to connect on that level, I suppose, makes you so much better informed and the ability to help someone else who's going through it. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope so. I think, I think it does. Um, and, and I hope that that's a value that I can bring to someone, you know, you said uh, that's at that point, strength and conditioning became something that you became really passionate about. You threw everything in. And I suppose going from when you're trying to battle through this with softball, it, I'm, I'm sure it became a case of the, the harder you tried, the tougher it got, right? Yes. Yeah. Strength and conditioning is totally different to that. You know, if you've got a program, you stick to it, you lift the weights, you do the work, you get the results. 100%. Like I, I always talk about that. It's like, that was my place to go where one plus one equals two. When I was on a softball field, I was still working. You know, it's like that I was always working hard. And so I think my coaches and the coaches and my teammates 
they strangely i still felt like a bit of a leader on the team even though i was on the bench because people would listen to me and they knew that i was over the top 100 percent in and i worked hard and i like showed i mean i just gave everything 100 percent, and they knew it and they knew what was going on with me they knew that i had the yips they knew i was struggling with this so i never i didn't feel as embarrassed in the moment because i knew i was still contributing to the team somehow and a big part of that was i was able to go in the weight room and do that where I, I was working as hard as I could on the softball field and like one plus one equals negative 17. Like I, there was no matching up to like hard work equals success. It was like work hard. And then as soon as I got into game situation, I just lost like the hard. I mean, it's like, I never even played the game. It was gone. It was gone. So I always talk about how, yeah, I was talking about how it's like the weight room was really just my, the place that I could control. I put in the hard work. I got stronger. I, I felt good about myself there. There's some kind of self-worth where on the softball field, I just was a wreck, you know? So it was definitely an outlet for me to be successful somewhere. The strength and conditioning took you, that then became your career path. You had the choice to take this with any sport, but you decided to head down the path of, of major league baseball. Firstly, yep. why baseball? Why did you think that that was your, your calling at that point? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I had seen like the Meyer League system and I just became wildly fascinated with that. But also I, I understood that it was like not what everyone thinks. You know, it's like the long bus rides, the bad food, the eating hot dogs after a game, just really tough. And and the training was bad. They would go and train at a horrible YMCA with no squat racks and no no means to like keep their training up. And I was a strength coach and I actually – this is how I operate. I want, I'm drawn to things that I can improve. I'm not drawn to the shiny object. I don't want to go and work in the big leagues, even though I get, you know, that might be a stop on the way, but that's not my like goal. You know, I'm drawn to like, Ooh, where's the, where's something that I can jump into and really get my hands dirty. And to me, that was the minor leagues. I was like, from the get go, I was like, I want to be in the minor leagues to help improve it because I had been at LSU, which if the listeners um, in Australia don't know what LSU is, it's one of the top athletic institutions in the entire country of the United States. So I saw things working at a very high level. And I was like, I know that I can help improve that somehow and be and be a valued coach there. Um, so that's why I originally wanted to get into it. I had no idea how difficult that was going to be at the time. I just thought, oh, that's where I want to go. So I'll go do it. Uh, and I was definitely in for a rude awakening. <laughs> and that's, I suppose, the start of what has been an incredible journey getting into getting into baseball. It it all started, you, you started applying for jobs and, and you got yourself an internship with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2012. That was your first step into baseball. But prior to that, you were sort of looking around and there were no women working in baseball. Yeah. So this, the story, the yeah, the way that I got in and actually like got hired full time, it was a bit of a, I was just so naive. I had no idea that it would even be a problem, you know? And so I was at LSU. In fact, I can remember the exact moment when I was like Googling jobs when I was at LSU. I was 23 and I was just looking up job, you know, openings. And so I found the PBS CCS, which is the Professional Baseball Strength and Conditioning Coaches Society. And they post all their jobs there. And so I'm looking through these jobs and I'm looking through their blog and through the website. And I'm like, where, where are all the women? Like, where, where are all the women's names? There are no names of any women on here. So I walked into my boss's office at LSU. Her name is Melissa. She's still there. And I said, Mel, did, are, are there no women in professional baseball strength and conditioning? 
And she just laughed and she was like, there are no women strength coaches in any of the men's professional sports. And I was shocked. Like that's how naive I was, which is a credit actually to like my coaches and my parents that I never even knew that was going to be a problem. I never even thought about, Oh, I'm a woman. I can't do that. I just, I marvel at how that in itself is, is a tribute to my parents, you know, and my early coaches and everyone. So I was like, huh. And then I still was naive. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll apply anyway. Cause I I'm at LSU. It's the best college institution you could be at. At the time they were footballs in the national championship, baseball and softball were in the college world series. It was literally one of the top two to five collegiate programs, you know, in the country. So I thought, oh, my resume is phenomenal as a young person. I could definitely get in, you know. So I actually ended up applying for a, a job for the St. Louis Cardinals. The, re, the way that that even happened is that the St. Louis Cardinals called LSU and said, hey, do you have any uh, young strength coaches? We're looking for an intern. Um, and they said, yeah, we do, actually. Uh, they work with baseball and softball. And, oh, by the way, it's a girl. Is that a problem? <laughs> you know, so uh, that was I got recommended to the St. Louis Cardinals through LSU, did an internship. Again, I was naive. So I, that was pretty normal, right? You, you know, I get an internship out of my master's degree. After that, it got pretty rocky. I, it was an internship. So at the end of the season, they were like, you did a great job. We'll call you in six months if we have another one. Like we, you know, it's not like you are hired full time and they didn't have any full time spots. So I left there. I moved to the Dominican Republic. I worked for a winter team there, winter ball team there, um, similar to like the winter league in, in Sydney. Um, worked there. I worked in the front office there and did translations for the interviews. And I hung out with the mascot and did, did game day operations stuff, you know, just trying to get anything I could move back to the States after the league was done, moved to Phoenix. Um, for those of you listening, major league baseball is split, uh, where their headquarters are. So major league baseball teams, there's half of the teams are in Florida and half of the teams are in Phoenix, Arizona. And so I moved to Phoenix to start a PhD in nutrition, which I thought was my next step at the time. So I land there and I thought, well, while I'm, while I'm kind of getting ready to start my classes and prerequisites, I'll apply for another internship in baseball. And there are 15 teams based in Phoenix. So there are a lot of jobs there. So I applied for eight to 10 jobs and just got nothing back. And so this is, again, this is like right after my internship with the Cardinals, I'd been at LSU, I'd been at Arizona State, I kind of skipped that, but again, this is a long story. So I, I applied for eight to 10 jobs and just got nothing, like crickets, you know, barely anything. Maybe one team said, thanks, but no thanks, you know? And you're thinking at that point, you're just not getting asked or not getting an interview or not getting a callback because maybe your resume just wasn't up to standard. That, yep, that, yeah, yeah. That was what you were thinking at that point. I was still like a level nine naive at that point <laughs> out of 10. I didn't get it. Yeah, I didn't get it because my resume was great. I had lived in the Dominican. I spoke some Spanish. I had the Cardinals. I had the, I mean, my resume was phenomenal for a young coach. And I didn't understand that until I got in the game and started receiving resumes and going, oh, I really was discriminated against because my resume is better than all these. You know, I didn't understand at the time. So I finally get a call in spring training. So I just had written off that season and I started waitressing to make money while I was kind of taking prerequisites for a PhD. And I, got a call in spring training and they said, Hey, one of our guys quit. Are you still interested in the position? I interviewed, everything went great. Um, the guy who interviewed me said, okay, wonderful. Uh, I want to hire you. I'll call you tomorrow. We'll get the paperwork started for HR. So I never heard from him. And I was like, that's weird. You know, I was like, that's weird. You know, I followed up, didn't hear back. And then two or three weeks later, I finally get a phone call from him and he said, Hey, 
I've got to tell you, I'm really sorry. You know, we're not going to hire you. And I want to be honest. It's because you're a woman. So that was kind of like, like dagger to the heart. And I, in an instant was no longer naive. I was like, Oh, and he was like, Oh, it gets worse. Um, I also called her. It took me so long to get back to you because I was frantically trying to help you find a job. And I called around and everybody else had also gotten your resume. And they also said the same thing that they couldn't hire you, uh, you know, as a woman for one reason or another, sometimes it wasn't, it wasn't him. You know, he was calling to apologize. He was trying to help me, but the administration above him was like, we're not going to do that. So anyway, that was when I went from a level nine to a level zero naive. I finally understood what I was up against. And that's why I was so grateful. He was honest, you know? So tell me about that moment where you finally have that reality check that this is, has nothing to do with my ability and has everything to do with my gender. Yeah, I was, I remember, I, I like remember the moment there's, you know, certain moments in your life where you just, I'll never forget. It. I was like in a car with a friend, I took the call and I got off the call and my friend was like, what happened? And I, I remember saying it as if it was so normal. I was like, oh yeah, like I, I guess they're not going to hire a woman. And my friend was like, oh yeah. I mean, that was the time. It's crazy to think how much has changed <laughs> since since like that was 2013, it wasn't the sixties. Right. And, and we still thought it was normal. I was like, Oh yeah, they're not going to, they can't hire a woman. And my friend was like, yeah, I guess not. Um, okay. What do, what do you want to get for dinner? And I didn't, I didn't start to really process that until later. And also when I, I, during that year, at some point decided not to get a PhD and to stay in coaching much longer. And when I made that decision where I was like, no, I want to stay in coaching. I was like, Oh shit. Like, now I know what I'm facing. So, um, I just knew how hard it was going to be. So I ended up, um, this might be the story that you've heard or whatever is ended up sometime. So I sat that season out waitress. I worked at Lululemon. I also, um, got an internship at Arizona state for the second time. Arizona state is another really great athletic program in the, in the United States. Um, really great conference. They're really well known for baseball and softball. Um, and so I got an internship at there just working for free, showed up at like five, 6 a.m. to work with a couple of groups in the morning. And then I would go to my waitressing job during the day to make money. And then coming around the next season, I was already worried because I was like, I don't even want to send out my resume like this because they're not going to read it if they see my name. So as the story goes, uh, some people have heard, maybe not your audience in Australia who's never heard of me. But my sister and I were on the phone one day and she was like, well, why don't you just change your name to a guy's name? And I was like, ha, 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 And then I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> I was like, wait, you might, yeah, you might be onto something. So that's when I changed my name on my resume to Ray, R-A-E. And uh, it worked. So I ended up sending it out to, you know, as the job started to come open after the season, I started to send it out to just about everyone. And I got immediate responses, everyone. Like everyone was, even if they said, oh, we don't have anything open, we'll be in touch. They responded. And so, I so just, what's the response though? Like when some head of the coaching department reads, here's Ray, I'll give Ray a call. Yeah. You answer the phone. What, what, what was the response? Yeah. So I, I started getting email responses first and it was like, okay, cool. We'll set up something or other. And then I got a phone call one day and I was out with my friends, didn't even think about it, picked it up and it was like, Hey, uh, can I speak to Ray, please? And I was like, oh God. I was like, oh, I was like, this is she just totally, I was shocked. I was like, it worked, you know? 
And so he would just, it just got real awkward real fast. He was shuffling papers and he was like, oh, sorry. I was trying to make sure I have the right name. And I, I was like, how obvious can you be that you didn't know this was a woman? So um, he was like, well, are you still interested in a strength and conditioning job? And I was like, yeah, but you know, I, I'm out. Can we talk tomorrow? And he's like, sure, I'll call you tomorrow afternoon. Never heard from him. You know, followed up through email, never heard from him. Yeah. So this is where it gets fascinating for me. So, you know, initially you were told that you're not going to get a job because you're a female. You decided to change your name on your resume and that worked. People started ringing. You got the call. So obviously you were good enough. Yes. But still, yeah. still you had this little sticking point. Yeah. That you just happened to be female. Was there a point there? Was there some point where you went, well, this still, I'm still not getting over the line here. What, what was, what was the point of, what was the driver for you to just think, I'm just going to keep crashing through this because I know I'm good enough to do it. Oh, uh, like a common, yeah. A combination of things. That's what it was. It's like, I knew I was good enough. My resume was phenomenal. So that, at that point, it's like, I had a better resume than a lot of the full-time coaches that were working. I didn't know that at the time. But at, but at looking back, I had a phenomenal resume for a young person and I felt that. And then ironically, what that did for me, changing my name, because I changed it back after that phone call. I was like, that was super awkward. I just I, I was like, man, if they don't want to hire me because I'm a woman, even if it takes longer, I'd rather have somebody go. Yeah, I don't care. So I don't have to convince someone. You know, the whole idea was like, maybe I'll just get on the phone with someone and they'll see how great I am and change their mind. But that wasn't going to happen. I just was so desperate. I thought that was going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. The thing that that did for me is give me like a little hope. I was like, all this work that I'm putting in, all these internships, it is going to pay off. It's just going to take that one person to do it. Um, So as soon as I started getting responses, I was like, oh, okay, my resume is good. Like that's that gave me that little bit of like reassurance that I was good enough to do the job. I just, it's just that little, you know, thing, my gender, just that. So I, I just, that kept me going for sure. And then also at some point, like I'm an athlete, I'm competitive. And I felt this like responsibility. I was like, man, I didn't, I didn't have a clue that this was going on, this discrimination. And I have to do this because I do have the resume. I am qualified. I, I know myself. I know that I am professional. I already was with the St. Louis Cardinals and I I know that I can do this. There is no question in my mind that I know that I can do this. And if I don't do this, when is the next person that's going to come along and do it for me? I'm not going to wait for that. I know that I'm qualified and that I, I will do a great job at this. So if I don't do it, it's like, it's almost, it was like my civil duty at that point to get it done. Um, on top of the fact that I just wanted to, like, I can't, at some point you can't just say, Oh, I have a chip on my shoulder and I would prove people wrong. And I want to do this for society. Like I wanted to, coach in professional baseball. So it was a multiple multitude of factors coming together, but yeah, there was a little like competitiveness and like, kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't want to hire me. Cool. I'm not going away. I'll apply next year. I'll see you again next year. You know? So I, I went through that fall. I did change my name back. It was pretty short lived because I just felt awkward. And I, as the, the emails exchanges came along like, Hey, are, would you like to schedule an interview type of thing? And then I would respond with my actual name and I wouldn't hear from them. So I was like, well, okay. You know, I just got to keep going. Got really late in that off season. I thought I was gonna have to sit out another year. And I actually applied and got accepted to a, a job at Eric's, Eric Cressy's place. Who, again, if people don't know, listening is one of the best uh, private baseball training facilities in the world. So I uh, got an internship there. I was going to move to Boston 
work for free. I don't even know how I was getting that money because I was already broke. So I, I was about to move. I mean, I was packed up, ready to move. And the Cardinals called me, who I had already worked for, and said, hey, are you interested in applying for the director of strength and conditioning for the Meyer Leagues? And I, I thought, I remember that moment, too, where I, I go, I looked at the phone, the major league strength coach for the St. Louis Cardinals was calling me. And I thought, why is he calling me? You know, I answered the phone, I'm like, hello? He's like, do you want to interview for this, this uh, director of strength and conditioning? And remind you, I couldn't even get a, a short-term, barely paid internship. And this guy wanted me to basically apply to run the entire department. And I was shocked. I was like, what? So, so I just took the Cardinals knew my, my quality of work and had seen me work as a professional and knew how I interacted with the players. And they called me interview and the rest is history. I got hired and that was 2014 season that I got hired. Um, spent two more years with them, three years with the Astros in, in various positions, went back to school um, and I was hired by the Yankees. So Rachel, finally that you get that moment, you get that appointment with the Cardinals. You're overseeing 250 athletes, uh, coaching staff. This is finally the big gig that you were looking for. Did you have that sense of, you know, all that hard work was worth it and I was good enough to do this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I just got the chills thinking about it. But, yeah, I remember I remember exactly where it was again. I took the call in the car and I just remember thinking, like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like, my resume is good enough. My work with the Cardinals was, was good enough for them to hire me back full time. And just fun, just some, some fun stuff happened where, you know, then I was full time. I was a director of the strength and conditioning for the Meyer leagues. And so, which is a huge, just to, again, for some context, I was overseeing 200 athletes. I was overseeing 10 male strength coaches. I was assisting with the major league strength coach with all of the major league operations as well and writing programs. It was a huge, huge responsibility. So I went from like not getting opportunities for internships to overseeing the whole thing, which tells you what my resume actually looked like. I yeah. was actually, you know, I was actually prepped for that position. So some fun things that happened where it's like now I knew the people that were discriminated against me. Like I knew their, I had their emails. So I knew the actual people that were, you know, and so now I'm like, oh, hi, it's so nice to meet you in person. Remember me, the girl that you, you know, so I think and it was just boss. <laughs> Yeah, it was just some fun, some fun stuff. And realistically, I never even even in the moment, but especially now looking back, I don't look at those people with like malice. You know, I'm not upset. It's It just was the time, the culture the like, even if they wanted to hire me, maybe they couldn't because their administration didn't want to. And so I just it just was some fun stuff. And it was interesting, obviously, a very it was a difficult time because I had to transition into being the boss, you know, of, of at age 26 as a woman and the first woman to ever do it. It was tough. Uh, it was a really tough, tough job to take over. Um, but yeah, it was, it was incredible. I remember telling my family and, and they were beyond ecstatic. So very cool. To put that into context as well, you were the first full-time strength and conditioning coach in baseball. What was the reaction? Uh, yeah. Yeah. In, 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 minor league baseball system what was what was the reaction from the coaches that you were overseeing and the athletes when here's rachel bonkovitz walking through the door as our new head of strength and conditioning they were great they were great the, the, the thing is is it's i would say it's hard to hate up close 
So the players and the coaches, as soon as you get around me for five minutes, you you just know, you know, I'm there for business. I'm there. It's my job. I'm, I'm professional. And I never had problems with players. I mean, I hear women that have issues and I just think, I don't know how that happens because in my entire eight year career, I've had two men hit on me Two. Like think about the hundreds, maybe thousands of players now I've encountered. Two of them have actually hit on me. And I just think to myself, like, whoa, how did I invite that? You know, but also these two men probably hit on just about every woman. So it's <laughs> like I I just do a very I'm very um, careful to I, I shouldn't say careful. I'm very deliberate in how I carry myself around the players and at work just to make sure that it's very clear why I'm there. And they were all great. And I think, again, maybe some every time I join a new organization, there's some curiosity like. Why is she here? What's she do? You know, what it, what's this going to be like? So there's a little curiosity and they might try to push me a little bit. And then if they're around me for a couple of days, you're like, oh, okay, who cares? You know, it's, it's very simple. And I, I just think that I can't say enough about my boss, Pete Prinzi, who hired me. I mean, he, he really gave me that opportunity. Um, and he was a massive supporter. I mean, at any chance he got, he was like, have you met uh, our coordinator, Rachel? Yeah, she was at LSU, Arizona State, played college softball. I mean, he just like rattled off my resume needlessly. He didn't need to do that. And he just wanted to make sure that everyone knew that I had earned that opportunity. And I'm having the same experience now with my boss with the Yankees, where it's a whole different situation. You know, there's a lot more press surrounding it. And same thing, like Dylan uh, Lawson that just hired me as a hitting coach. Um, he's like, yeah, have you met Rachel? She's been with the St. Louis Cardinals, the Houston Astros. She has two master's degree. Been at L- I mean, she, he just, he, it's like, I'm like, Dylan, did you memorize that? He's like, yep. <laughs> but it, it's so great that you've got these, you've got these people. And I suppose you've got these men in your corner who are willing to push your barrow. Yes. For you. That's got to be a huge help as well. It, it's everything. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't be here. You know, I think, I think men in general have this like uh, kind of bad rap or they, you know, I, I, I love men. Like I'm so thankful. I have so many brothers and dads and just uncles and in the game that are just have been massively supportive. And that's only what I know. I don't know what's even gone on behind my back that they will never tell me that they've yeah. had to have my back behind my, you know, behind my back where they've had to step in and say, no, that's not the case. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be here. Literally I wouldn't have been hired if it wasn't for the men that hired me, but also just like the support group uh, where they're like, like I said, the brothers that I never had and I've got a hundred of them, you know, so it's phenomenal. You've had so many great influential males in your life. One of them being, uh, being Dylan Lawson. I found a quote from him about you not so long ago. He said, Rachel's worth and her value far exceed what is traditional. She's made herself so good that whatever tradition says she eclipses it. She's in a place of her own. There are some amazing words from a man who just gets it. Yeah, Dylan is really special to me. He, um, so we met first of all in, with the Astros. So in 2016, I joined the Astros and we worked together for three years when I was a hitting coach and he was a strength coach. And we were constantly bouncing ideas off of each other and just working. And eventually, like I became, I was doing hitting drills or um, really working on rotation in the weight room. And I was kind of, I was, learning from them how I could be a better strength coach. But in the process, I was learning their hitting philosophy, you know, so I could speak the, the language with the players in the weight room. And I mean, I just really clicked with him. And so eventually when I decided to go back to school, um, I left the Astros 2018, 
went back to school. Meanwhile, he left the Astros in 2018 and went to the Yankees as their director of hitting. He was just a minor league hitting coach with the Astros. Then he became the director of hitting for the Yankees. So we both left at the same time. I went back to school because I knew that I was going to pivot. I knew I was changing. I knew I was leaving strength and conditioning. Wasn't exactly sure what I would do. Hitting coach, pitching coach, scout. And I kept talking to Dylan. He kind of put a bug in my ear to go to do my research and hitting for eye tracking, which is something that is super rare. Um, there is some uh, research out of Australia, Sean, Sean Mueller. And then uh, one of the best researchers in the world for eye tracking is in Amsterdam. So I went to Amsterdam and was going to basically learn under this mentor. Went back to school. I got a year of curriculum, came back, went to driveline baseball in Seattle. Again, if people don't know listening, that's one of the best baseball performance facilities in the world, uh, especially in research. So I was able to have access to biomechanics lab. Um, I mean, just force plates, all, every technology you could possibly imagine um, and do my research and eye tracking for hitters at driveline. I had stayed in contact with Dylan the entire time. He was mentoring me in this specific topic within hitting. So when it came time for the Yankees to hire new coaches, um, I, I'm fully confident. You know, I think that it's interesting how the world has changed where everyone say, well, just hiring women because that's, you just want to hire a woman, which is crazy because just, you know, we're talking about six years ago, nobody would have said that because there were no women. Now mm. there's more women being hired. And so everyone thinks, oh, it's a diversity hire. And I know why I got hired. It's because Dylan Lawson mentored me. He basically like created a monster. You know, he like, he got to like shape who I was as a hitting coach to the point where I was qualified. And then he hired me last, last, uh, actually almost exactly a year ago. Um, to be one of their minor league hitting coaches. So that's that's how it came about. Dylan, I couldn't have done, I cannot do this without Dylan. If he, obviously hiring me in general, but also just his the support that he brings in every way, I can't even, I cannot even tell you. Some of the struggles I've been through thus far, and he's just there to like make me laugh. You know, I, I love his wife and his kids and just very close to him. And he's he's done everything for me. I want to go back to this going back to school. You'd finally cracked it in this job. You, you, you'd broken through the barrier. You got this job as a strength and conditioning. You'd moved to the Astros. You'd worked as their Latin American coordinator. You taught yourself Spanish as well, so you could yeah. better work with these players, which is, it, itself is is amazing. Yeah. But you decide you had a bigger plan in your mind. You had you had a bigger plan or a longer game that you wanted to play. So you've told your peers and your family and what have you. You know what this dream job that I've that I've just got. I'm just going to park that for a while and I'm going to go back to school in the Netherlands and <laughs> take on this, this other path. Yeah. As I said, you obviously had it clear in your mind. What were people around you saying? Because I'd imagine that plenty of people thought that you were crazy. Yeah, many of them did. I, yeah, no one. This is, it's a, it's the second time in my life where no one thought it was a good idea. When I wanted to get into baseball, no one like I don't I don't even remember a person that was like, yeah, great. Go for it. Everyone wanted to remind, remind me of how hard it was going to be and that the players wouldn't respect me. And why would I do that? And I had all these college opportunities because I had just come from LSU. So I had all these colleges calling me, asking me if I was interested in a job. And uh, this is the second time in my life where I was like, I'm going back to school in Europe. I'm going to switch careers. I'm not going to be a strength coach anymore. And everyone was like, don't do that. Why would you do that? Oh, Europe. Is there baseball in Europe? There's not even baseball in Europe. So it was a, a yet again, a time where I just had to like, I couldn't listen to anyone but myself. You know, I just had to be like tunnel vision and listening to myself. And I, I mean, it's the best thing I've, it's, 
it was a tough go. I quit my job with the Houston Astros, who at the time had won a World Series the year prior. Um, and why would you ever leave? You know, I had a World Series ring with Balkovitz on it. You know, like why why would you ever leave? So I left at a, at a time where everyone questioned that. And then also moving across the world to Europe, going back to school at the age of 30, I depleted my entire life. Most people take the money that I had and put a down payment on a house. And I just was like, nah, I'll get rid of that money. Who cares? So I went back to school, um, depleted my entire life savings. And, you know, it's like I made history again. Like it mm -hmm. was worth it. Um, and my bank account will rebound. I always say it's like, for me personally, my viewpoint is I can always make money. I can make money until I die. But I can not always, you know, I can't skip opportunities, which brings us to why did I, why am I coaching for the White Sox? Um, the White Sox. Oh, my God. Did I just say that? Blue Sox. I'm getting my, my uh, socks confused. Let's go back to the, the move to the Netherlands, though. It's a moment in your life when everyone around you is telling you this is a bad idea. Everyone's saying, Rachel, this is wrong. You've got your, you've got your dream job. You don't need to do this. What is it in your mind and in, in your makeup that says, no, 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 everyone else is wrong. I'm right. And I'm focused <laughs> and I'm committed. Just, I mean, it goes back to like my parents, you know, just, I, it's funny how I would tell my mom, I'm like, mom, you're from a tiny little farm town. None of your family or your friends went to college and you did it. You know, and now look at you. And it's like taking those risks it's like almost in my blood. It's like how I was raised to just look at look at things differently and go, okay, that's what everyone else is doing. I'm gonna go over here and do this for the long-term gain. And so I think it's just like delayed gratification and being able to see beyond just what's right in front of my face. Um, so I just, have, I've always done that. I've done it my, my entire career and this is really no different. It's just now it's more public that everyone understands that I did this. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's how I was raised. It's how my mentality is, is I'll work I'll put my head down and work now for the long-term gain, even if no one else can see it. So you're saying, say when your mother's saying to you, Rachel, why are you doing this? You're saying, mom, this is your fault. This is your fault that I'm doing this because you've driven me. We laugh about it now because even they, again, they, and they're just concerned parents. And my friends that said, don't go, they're just concerned friends. They're like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you making it so hard on yourself? And it's not that they're again, malicious. It's just, I'm like, well, mom, I'm like, Oh, this is, when I, when I finally got hired by the Yankees, I'm like, this is why Do, now, you know, why now they don't question me anymore. Now it's kind of a joke. Yeah. So I, I could see my long-term goal is to be a general manager. And I just knew that I couldn't, I can, can't go from strength and conditioning to being a general manager. So I've got to fill in that gap. How I'm going to fill in that gap. Well, I'm going to get really good at evaluating players. You could do that from a scout's perspective, but I'm looking at it from, I want to be immersed in, I want to be in the cages. I want to see when a player's in a slump. I want to, you know, I want to be in the thick of it. So I knew that I had to be, get better at player valuation, player acquisition, understanding how, how that works. So this is one of basically the first, it's almost, it's not the first step. It's like step 10, you know, but it's the first step uh, going towards a general manager. And so this is really, I, again, I see the big picture. I see 10 years in the future. Okay, this is where I want to be. And I work backwards and go, okay, how am I going to get there? So um, I definitely want to spend a good amount of time as a coach and focused on that right now, which is why, you know, that's why Sydney, that's why the Blue Sox. So uh, we missed a year here because of COVID and uh, I knew I couldn't take a year off. And as soon as this opportunity came up, I just jumped all over it. There it is. Part one of our very special two-part episode featuring Rachel Balkovitz, the hitting coach of the Sydney Blue Sox. No doubt you've been very impressed by her so far. I can assure you there's plenty more of her story to come. 
Stick around. Make sure you listen to part two of Rachel Balkovitz. I'm not done yet. Blue Sox Banter is a Karis Communications production hosted by me, Glenn Hawke, for the Sydney Blue Sox.